0: You're listening to Sports Content Strategy with Mr Richard Clark.
1: What I proposed was wrong then, and it's wrong now. The paradox is it's very, very similar to the latest plan that we heard about in the autumn through Der Spiegel. I told the FA... Hopefully not in such abrasive terms. The people in television are smarter than the people in football. And be careful that if you don't control them, they will refashion football in their image and not in yours. And the time has come for actually to answer the question which has never been answered. And this was the basis on which the European Cup first of all and then the Champions League was founded. And that is, which is the best team in Europe?
0: Hi there, welcome to Sports Content Strategy. My guest this time is Alex Finn, and what a career he's had helping to shape the Premier League and the Champions League from their inceptions. Got a lot of strong views on both competitions, particularly the latter and the way that it might evolve in the future. Remember, you can follow me on all social media, at MrRichardClark, and also Sports Content Strategy is out there on all the platforms too. And feel free to email me, if you need a consultant or any advice on matters across sports, digital and social media and content. Now, we did this interview in a cafe in North London. Consequently, there's bangs and crashes in the background, as usual. Don't let that put you off. And as I say, Alex has lots of strong views about the way football should create its future. Let's have a listen.
1: My name's Alex Finn. Um, I used to be important in advertising, which got me into football, and I got into football first of all by doing the first advertising campaign ever for a football club for Tottenham Hotspur back in the 80s that brought me to the attention of the Football League for whom I worked advising on television rights and then subsequently the FA and I was their consultant at the time of the creation of the Premier League Um, so I was involved in the creation of the Premier League while all this was going on um, as part of my advertising business um, I help produce a Super League plan for Silvio Bellasconi he was our client in Italy and one day the head of our Italian agency rang up and said here's a job we always wanted Alex design a Super League for Silvio Bellasconi so you could say remember that I'm biased and put the prefix in front that he might say this might be. but uh, I was involved both in the creation of the Premier League and the creation of the Champions League and subsequently to that, I've advised several uh, Premier League clubs on media and marketing, and I've done television rights for about half a dozen clubs in the Premier League.
0: So, Alex, you describe yourself on your Twitter account as the, quote, spiritual godfather no, of I the Premier League. Uh, no, well, it's been, it's been described, and you put I, it on your Twitter. I, no,
1: I didn't do it. Oh. You see, I only did Twitter when I had a book to publicise, and the publishers did it for me. So for a long time, I would tell them on occasions, if I wanted to tweet something, they would do it for me. Nowadays, I do it myself, but I haven't yet learned how to alter the details regarding my CV.
0: So are you uncomfortable with that?
1: Yeah, slightly, because I'm, I'm, I have worked for Arsenal. I like Arsenal. I've written about Arsenal. But I've also worked for Tottenham. I like Tottenham and have written about Tottenham. And I don't want people to see me as an Arsenal fan, and I don't necessarily want them to see me as a Tottenham fan. Because the way I look at it is that I'm a bit of a fraud, certainly compared to you, Richard, and certainly compared to many fans, because I like the clubs who treat me well. So there are about half a dozen that I follow, including Arsenal and Tottenham, who are at the top of the list.
0: OK, but your main claim to fame I know what you were about to say.
1: The Sunday Times described me as the spiritual godfather of the Premier League.
0: You mustn't believe publicity from necessarily outside sources. Okay, well, that notwithstanding, and thank you for the invitation to uh, your squash club, by the way. We're sitting in the cafe here, so if you can hear any background, that is the reason for that. We've got slamming in doors and we've got coffee well, and things like no that. More going no slamming doors. <laughs> <than our people. laughs> it'll be okay, it'll be okay. But the um, issue of the Premier League, you were the man who wrote the initial blueprint...
1: I wrote the commercial section of the blueprint for the future of football 1992 which led to the formation of the Premier League.
0: Okay. How far is it away from that initial blueprint or at least you're part of it?
1: Um, in principle it's right on the money, in practice it's very very different because what I told the FA was that if they created a showcase top division of preferably 18 clubs, maximum of 20, they didn't need to break away, they would have the space and time to create opportunities for the England national team, the FA Cup alongside the top division. So I didn't actually advocate a breakaway as such, what I advocated was um, a restructuring of the league so that they created a showcase at the very top. it was the clubs themselves who agitated for a breakaway. And the FA supported that, not for any visionary reasons, because um, they felt, above all, that they would once again head off the power of the uh, Football League, who were threatening them with a power-sharing agreement.
0: Okay, so you weren't necessarily advertising, advocating, I should say, a a breakaway in itself. So, you thought it could have existed as part of the overall football Absolutely. league?
1: And the first, the first plans that we did, um, and the brief that I was given, was in fact um, to look at uh, all of football. So what I did was to restructure the whole of the club game in order to benefit the clubs, the national team, and the FA Cup. I also looked at the whole of the broadcasting for both the club game and the national team so I did two composite plans one which restructured English football and I can tell you very briefly what the structure was it it was based on the event-like nature of football so um, when Arsenal play Manchester United it's a major event But when Coventry play Oldham and they were both founder members of the Premier League, as it happened, uh, it's a non-event. And what football needs are more events and less non-events. And similarly, down the scale. So to go and make Exeter play Carlisle is futile. It costs a fortune in relative terms to stage it. No one's interested in it unless teams are involved in promotion and relegation. How much better to create local events at the bottom of the league? So you create major events at the top, local events at the bottom and by definition what that means is smaller divisions if you have smaller divisions, no more than 20 clubs in a division every club is playing for something they're playing for the title, they're playing for Europe they're playing for promotion they're playing for the avoidance of relegation matches are more meaningful and because you'll play fewer games more important games cost the less but the quality of the football is better so the actual plan was a showcase top division of 18 or 20 clubs one national division below that of 20 clubs a second national division below that of 20 clubs and then three national divisions of regional clubs so you had over a hundred clubs in the football league and what you were creating was space and time for the small clubs as well as the big clubs and if a club was good enough through merit it could rise right to the top so that was the plan with regard to the structure of, of club football and remember that, that one of the primary reasons for it was to give space and time for the FA's two key properties the national team and the FA Cup and it would, that would happen automatically if you had a smaller top division the other point that I did was to look at broadcasting as a whole and what I did was to suggest that there must be some free to air television for key games but equally they must have the money that pay television will bring but whatever you do limit pay television don't give them a, mon- a monopoly because and and this might have been my undoing that I told the FA hopefully not in such abrasive terms but the people in television are smarter than the people in football you know they know what they want and be careful that if you don't control them they will refashion football
0: in their image and not in yours and i've s- i've seen it written that well, i've seen you quoted i should say as it, what happened was and, it, and this happened with the champions league as well the recommendations that earned the money were taken wow and expanded upon and those which developed the game were omitted and ignored. Is that is that basically right?
1: Yes, that's a very fair summary. Um, in fact though, th- they didn't believe that the money that I suggested was available by dividing the television rights between free-to-air and pay television and bringing in sponsorship and merchandising in the way I suggested was obtainable. And in fact um, within the FA there was a move uh, to discredit me to discredit their own recommendations because they felt that this was too much like a revolution and a revolution which would upset their their cosy arrangements that they put in place which I would have to say were you know primarily self-serving rather than having the interests of the good of football and I don't want to come across as particularly arrogant but I, I got the impression that I cared more about what, what should happen to football than the people at the FA who were employing me so the way I put it and the way you summarise it is, well, is good Richard that, that I, I showed the, the FA the money and they showed me the door
0: <laughs> I've heard you quoted saying that before um, are you surprised the way the television rights have gone since then? Because it's not been a seamless path upwards, but it's just grown and grown and grown. Albeit they've gone for the exclusivity in the domestic market with, with Sky, and initially with Sky and then BT, and that's worth more money than you you were uh, advocating, or, the, or it's a system you weren't well, not, advocating. Not initially.
1: In fact, the first Sky contract, people get confused, the first Sky contract was really only $34 million for 60 games and what I suggested to the to the um, to the FA with regard to Sky that they should have 30 games and the value for 30 games would be about 23 million so you can see on a game per game basis there wasn't a lot of difference between what I advocated initially and what Sky subsequently paid but what I didn't foresee was that the FA were going to allow Sky to change the face of football in the way they did Sky have changed the way that football is financed obviously the way that football is presented and even the way that football is played what uh, people have forgotten along the way that that football is both a live event but more important than that it's a television spectacular the live event will draw thousands of television spectacular millions but you've got to balance the two if you don't have a live event of substance You won't have a television spectacular Um, if Arsenal and Tottenham played to a half empty stadium then you're not going to get the rights fee that Sky have paid Um, so initially um, I was advocating the sort of sums that, that Sky eventually paid subsequently because of the importance of Premier League football to Sky Um, I've been astonished at the the rate of growth in terms of the rights fees Um, simply because initially um, Sky didn't have to have Premier League football in order to save itself there had been a merger with British Satellite Broadcasting, BSP and both companies were losing money hand over fist primarily through um, overpaying for films Um, and what had happened was that there are three key drivers of subscription television Um, there's movies there's sport and there's porn Um, we couldn't do porn but we could do movies and sport and they overpaid for movies and then they needed sport and in Rupert Murdoch's own words he saw sport as a battering ram to drive subscriptions I don't think he anticipated because he wasn't a football man neither was one of the key men who delivered the sky contract Stan Chisholm a football man but they were superb television people and they understood the value of the television spectacular and their, their maxim was when we play everybody wins but you know he who pays the piper calls the tune and um, Sky called the tune.
0: In terms of the TV rights, have we reached saturation point in the domestic market? It seems that overseas now is becoming increasingly important, and of course, the, the big clubs have tried to get a, a larger slice of the pie in the last couple of years. There. Well, do
1: you okay? First of all, let's take the last point. I'm uh, probably um, in a minority who think the big clubs deserve more money in terms of a share of overseas rights. Because after all what drives the overseas rights is seeing Manchester United versus Liverpool it's not Southampton against Everton Um, and therefore I think they deserve it but the reason that the Premier League was created was to prevent a big club (coughs) monopoly the big clubs had prior to the Premier League devised a deal with ITV which benefited them primarily at the expense of the rest of their uh, fellow clubs in the top division um, to say nothing of the fellow clubs in the rest of the football league who got practically nothing um, so the idea was one club one vote and when you have 22 clubs you know you've only got a big six so they were outvoted um, and hence uh, there's quite a fair system for redistributing money and the, the system for redistributing money is 50% equally according to your position 1 to 20 in the table and 25% according to the number of times you're on television with each club guaranteed a minimum number of showings which means that of course the big clubs being more successful will earn more money but it also means that the smaller clubs will earn money so we have the difference between as a result of the last contract or probably more actually, the contract before, because that was slightly more. Um, uh, so I think've we've, we've seen the pinnacle of television rights, although they won't fall dramatically. so the champions will earn a hundred million domestically. Um, I beg your pardon, not now. the champions will earn two hundred million and the bottom club one hundred million, um, and that keeps it competitive, which is, is crucial. It, it keeps it competitive up to a point only up to a point because the big clubs have the bonus of um, Champions League money. They also play in bigger grounds with higher ticket prices. Their marketing, as a result of their success, brings in more money. So commercially, they are bigger.
0: Uh, okay, but the argument... But, but
1: the argument is that it's as fair as possible and it's much fairer than the Spanish, um,
0: the Italian, but not the German. And, and that is what I take your point of you want as many events as you can, big events, the Arsenal Man United, Liverpool, Chelsea, all all those. But the whole point is in the Premier League because of the funding being closer, relatively close in comparison to other leagues in Europe. That allows Burnley-Manchester United to be a closer game than whoever's bottom of the Bundesliga versus Bayern Munich, for example absolutely okay. but, but, and
1: it also allows certain a, a, atyp, atypical situations it certainly allows atypical situations such as um, for example a good coach a good youth policy um, the big clubs taking their eye off the ball so you have Leicester winning the title of course it won't happen again because the big clubs won't take their eye off the ball again um, But it does mean that every game in the Premier League is a hard game. Um, The the only problem is that um, you you divide the Premier League sometimes into three leagues. And um, at the bottom it's a fight for survival. But all the same, notwithstanding that, every game is a tough encounter.
0: Where we are at the moment with the Premier League, are we in danger of squeezing out a whole generation of people. There's already uh, a process that maybe started with redeveloping stadiums on the back of the Hillsborough Disaster, the Bradford Fire, all those things. That was a positive move to improve the facilities in the stadium, but it also led to ticket prices going up. Ticket prices have gone up again, and you can't just buy Sky. You've got to pay Sky and BT, and it might be on... Amazon or other platforms now. So you've got this whole generation of fans that have been priced out from attending games and also priced out from watching games on television because it's not on free-to-air. And it's unfair.
1: But the system is unfair, you see, because 20 clubs have all the hype and all the money. And it is the only league to play in. And the only way that you can survive is to have your definition of success. So success for the big clubs means the title or at the very minimum the Champions League success for the middle-sized clubs means perhaps getting into Europe and having a good run in a cup competition or two and for the rest it's survival at all costs you know you mustn't be relegated Um, so every club has to have their own definition of success and there's only one route to success which is the players Um, so money is spent on the players' wages as wages have escalated money has to be found from other sources Uh, and the only way to do that is to put up costs so subscriptions have risen, ticket prices have risen and there's only one answer which is that there should be some sort of cap because otherwise wages will rise inexorably and the only way that wages are paid for in the end are by the fans and the television viewers so the system is wrong if the, we followed the German system whereby there are 38 clubs that matter so there's the equivalent of Premier League one and Premier League two so clubs go up and down players go up and down coaches go up and down Other factors come into play, money isn't the be-all and end-all, and anyway it's distributed more equitably there on an 80-20 basis. So you can have a situation, for example in Germany where a club, this is what actually happened in the 90s, that Kaiserslautern were promoted, sorry, in three seasons they were relegated, promoted and then were champions. I mean it will never happen in England because there's a chasm between the Premier League and the championship and that chasm can never be bridged and the only way that uh, clubs remain successful is by staying in the premier league and having their own definition of success in the premier league and the only answer to that is by having better players and unfortunately better players cost money and the money is only found at the bottom line through the fans
0: I mean there's a few issues to come out of that but has there any, ever been a situation where it hasn't been the fans paying in the end in sports
1: I don't think they pay in Germany they don't pay excessively in Germany ticket prices are quite small um, in comparison to the Premier League and also um, subscriptions on television are not as same as they are in England we pay more both through the gate
0: and for our television, than most countries. And the other thing, of course, that was thrown in this arena for a long time is we can't have a good national team because we've got the best league in the world, if not the best league, the most important league in the world. Didn't Germany flip that around when Bayern Munich came back to being successful within Europe? Dortmund developed, Schalke developed, and of course they had a great national team as well that were winning trophies.
1: Absolutely. Um, when the Premier League was created... Spain too, actually. <laughs> yes. When the Premier League was created, it was, it was called the FA Premier League. The FA had what was called a golden share. Now, they never actually made that work for them. What they could have done is to say, you start with 18 clubs or you don't start at all. All right, we'll make a concession. You start with 20. And by the way, because we're the custodian of all English football, Um, and we stand for a variety of causes Uh, kids football, women's football, coaching, education, training we want to build the equivalent of the French Clairefontaine we're going to take 40% of the television money and they could have done that and instead of us rejoicing over the unusual success of the England team in the last World Cup we would have replicated Uh, If not 1966, we would have replicated 1990 much, much earlier, much, much earlier. I'm convinced that unless the cards fall our way because of the Premier League, we will never, 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 ever win the World Cup or the European Championship. And we only did so well last time because the cards fell our way. And a lack of expectation because we've been so bad that's also very important because whenever we were playing in the world cup there was always the expectation that England would win it Um, and there was a lack of um, expectation this time which obviously made it less pressurized Um, and we took advantage of the good luck that befell us
0: what are the challenges coming down the line for the Premier League I mean I'll ask you about new media and you'll say oh, I'm a dinosaur I don't know about this but you must know some of the challenges in the, in the media arena as someone who's looked so deeply into television rights and indeed calculated them for clubs and, 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 and done the deals.
1: the biggest challenge is you cannot measure a country's football strength by 20 clubs alone so sooner or later we've got to realise that there has to be the gap between the Premier League and the rest that has to be bridged so other factors can come into play so money isn't the be all and end all um, and looking to the future I think the only way that that is going to be
0: resolved um, is if you create Premier League 2 you but, but even then you, you're going to jettison 50 clubs yeah, aren't yeah, you effectively indeed
1: but it's at the moment you're jettisoning, you're jettisoning 70 clubs so far better that you have 40 clubs and more important than that you have 40 academies and despite the system being against it we are getting a number of good players youth players for the first time ever the under-17s and the under-20s have won tournaments uh, which astonish us and it's in spite of the system that these kids have come through if we had such a system for example not only should we have 40 clubs in the premier league in two divisions we will have 40 academies but also what we should have in order to protect uh, the england national team as well as having well there's two things first of all we should limit squads so clubs shouldn't be allowed to sign players on the basis that um, they're not good enough to play but they're too good to sell so clubs should be having should have a limited squad of 25 25 to 30 no more than that in which case the talent would be spread wider than the top clubs in the premier league that's the first thing and the second thing is there ought to be a mandatory number a mandatory number of Englishmen within the squad in addition to what UEFA suggests on homegrown players homegrown players could of course come from Spain and Italy so if you had in addition to the eight homegrown players that UEFA demand if you had another five or six who were Englishmen, then you would strengthen the England national team you'd strengthen the English game and you'd actually even if you didn't change the system so long as the Football League at least change itself so they don't play too many spurious games we are the only league in Europe who play 46 games in a division if you play 46 games in a division there's a huge gap between top and bottom there's so many unimportant and spurious games every other major country in Europe plays 20 clubs in a division as a maximum if you've got 20 clubs every club is playing for something that's what we should do so to summarize premier league in two divisions 40 clubs that matter 40 academies that matter mandatory number of englishmen per club at least half a dozen and a, a cap on the squad size 25 to 30. if you did that the whole of the english game would be structured the Premier League wouldn't be weaker it would be stronger because we'd be tapping in um, good English players who so, would be coming through the see
0: system. Arsene Wenger the likes of Arsene Wenger would disagree with that he would say by mandating a certain amount of Englishmen well, you dilute the quality it's up to the and English I was just English about people. to answer that
1: sorry I interrupted you I was just about to say that you don't dilute the quality because the big stars will always have their role there but what you don't what you stop now is um, or what you would stop by that system for example is Chelsea spending 40 million on a reserve player merely to stop Manchester City having him and by the same way, blocking the progress of their own youthful players. So, I mean, Arsene Wenger was a genius when he came, but Arsene Wenger didn't move with the times. And you're asking me about what should be done now. Of course, we should never have had 20 clubs having all the hype and all the money, but we've got to accept that. And if you then just divided it some of it to another 20 clubs, you don't give them all the money, but maybe 20% of it, we would have just a much stronger base to English football.
0: Why, in your opinion, is the Premier League seemingly struggling to appoint a CEO? Or even attract a CEO? That's what's being mediated. It's it's a job that, obviously, there was one appointment and uh, she pulled out and there seems to be a struggle to appoint a CEO.
1: Because I think it was essentially a one-man show previously. Um, and that one man has departed although departed with um, really an unreasonable golden handshake when you consider the the amount of money that, um, that would keep small clubs in business that was given to him and it's not as if he hadn't been exceptionally well paid for doing an exceptional job uh, but that was a, a bonus on top of a bonus and was unnecessary um, so that wasn't going to happen again um, and also the power that he had and the deals that were put in place meant the room to manoeuvre for any successor was limited so and I think also that um, perhaps the main factor is the clubs felt that when you give someone power that power becomes absolute, very difficult to take away here's an opportunity to take some of that power away um, and to restructure it um, and the people who are coming in are, are experienced marketing people financial people, or sorry the potential people, candidates and they could see that uh, they would come into the job with not the same freedom as their predecessor is there a Premier League bubble? People have always been forecasting that. The rights this year went down. So long as BT and Sky need the Premier League, and at the moment they do, rights might come down a little, but not but not um, dramatically. So long as the Premier League is the most popular league in the world, overseas rights will continue to flourish. Um, and so long as the English clubs at least do... Better and better in Europe, um, that will have uh, a consequential effect on the Premier League as well. So uh, a bubble won't burst, but the rate of increase will slow down.
0: You wrote a 10 point plan for Silvio Berlusconi, which. Well, no, no, I, I did a, I did
1: a speech for the Rothlands Football Yearbook. Um, And included in that, it was a 10-point plan for the restructuring English football, some of which we talked about because it was some of which was incorporated in my proposals to the FA for their blueprint. But also as one of the 10 points, it was a European Super League. And maybe um, Bellasconi picked up on that and that's why I got the request to produce this league for him, um, which I did. Um, But I have to say that my head was turned. Um, I was flattered and I did what I thought he wanted, not what football needed. And what I proposed was wrong then and it's wrong now. And the paradox is it's very, very similar to the latest plan that we heard about in the autumn through Der Spiegel. Um, Big clubs in the big television markets, self-defined by their history, And also their current success and also ensuring that there is no promotion or (laughs) relegation you know it's almost like-for-like what I recommend in 1988
0: just expand on what you did recommend in 1988 and the the way it was going to work um, Bellasconi felt
1: that when the champions of Italy were drawn against the champions of Spain um, Napoli against Real Madrid and one of them had to lose that wasn't modern thinking
0: this is 88 isn't it no this is just before 88
1: it was just before probably the year before I think it was 85 maybe 85 86 maybe 86 87 I'm not sure but but when that when that happened um, he had just taken over Milan he saw Milan as an essential arm of his commercial empire and as an essential arm of his commercial empire he didn't want to if they became Italian champions run the risk of getting knocked out in the first round ergo a knockout cup was not modern thinking and what he needed was more guaranteed big event matches and here we are on the event light theory again more big event matches equal more television spectaculars so what we needed was to restructure European football in order to guarantee that Um, now what I did was give him a plan whereby it was the big clubs in the big television markets uh, based on their current status but also their history so there was um, 18 clubs in a league And he used it as a catalyst, um, as a stalking horse, to to worry UEFA And what really changed UEFA's mind wasn't that Of course they were worried what a, a media mogul like Bellasconi could do But what really changed their mind was the fact that Glasgow Rangers kept knocking on their door Glasgow Rangers had suffered the same fate as Napoli At the time they were one of the biggest clubs in the United Kingdom Um, And they were dominating the Scottish League I think they won seven in a row Nine in a row Nine nine in a row Um, So they were dominating the Scottish League And to get knocked out in the first round in Europe You know, to them also Wasn't modern thinking And Campbell Ogilvie Who was their club secretary Was at the forefront of a plan To have groups And his first couple of plans Were rejected by UEFA And eventually they were accepted So you had Berlusconi rattling drums in one corner and you had Glasgow Rangers coming up with a feasible plan in another Um, and the big clubs always have always been uh, searching for more and more money even today, you know, they're searching for more and more money because they play the players obscenely (laughs) and therefore they need more money So uh, you had the big clubs not happy You had Glasgow Rangers with a specific plan and you had the threat of Bellasconi and um, UEFA to say they caved in is unfair but they recognised that maybe a knockout competition had had its day and they needed to have more guaranteed events which meant going to a group system
0: so we had the group system and then for a period of time, we had a second group system. And then, of course, that was taken out because it was, it was dull and it was bad TV. Exactly. And even today, the,
1: the first group system could, uh, could arguably be dull and bad TV. And what UEFA have done, remember that the, the reason they're doing this is to give more money to the big clubs, to keep them happy, to keep them in fold. So what, what they've actually done is to have different times for kickoffs. Different weeks for kickoff, um, so that you've got more games on television. But more important than that, they have actually restructured the groups so that, as we talk now, we had something like um, over fifty percent of the groups, the third, the thirty-two in the groups, came from the big five countries. Um, on the basis that the th- fourth team in Spain is more important than the champions of Belgium Um, and that has now gone to the next stage whereby we are at the last 16 as we talk and 14 out of the 16 in the last 16 come from these five countries so just as 20 clubs in the premiership cannot measure the strength and depth of English football so clubs from the big five countries and let's name them um, England, Germany, Spain, Italy, France cannot measure the depth and strength of European football and the time has come I would say it's a bridge too far and the time has come to, for actually to answer the question which has never been answered for what, and this was the basis on which the European League sorry this was the basis on which the european cup first of all and then the champions league was founded and that is which is the best team in europe and how do you find out the best team there's only one way which is a league and i think the time has come to create a true european league and i have an idea of how it might work and I'm going to reveal the idea in detail. I'll, I'll give you an outline. <laughs> you can give me an outline. I know you've got a talk coming. I've got well. a talk coming at Birkbeck, on the t- Birkbeck University. It's a free talk on the 28th of February.
0: And um, I will give chapter and verse then. Tease me a bit about your solution because this is this is a, a hot issue everywhere. You had the Despigger revelations. There's talk about Champions League games at the weekend, or it's it's everywhere. This particular issue, and no one's answering it effectively. Well, I'm sure they've got answers, but they're not revealing at the moment. No,
1: most of the plans have a fault, as indeed does this one of mine. But I think it is um, based on merit, and that's what football should be. So, uh, without going into full detail, which will be revealed at the Birkbeck Talk... Um, I'll put a link in the show notes to thank that, Thank you by very way. much. Um, th- th- these are the advantages, and then from the advantages, you, you'll get an idea of, of, of how it might work. So the first benefit is that for the first time in the history of European club football, we will find out which is the best team in Europe, the team that wins this European league. Secondly, it will be more representative. So because you've got more clubs involved in the tournament and more countries involved, you've got widespread interest throughout the season. So uh, at the moment, if you're a football fan in Cyprus, you don't get to support your, your team because they may not qualify in the first place. And if they do qualify, they get knocked out quite early. Here, a, a Cypriot team will be playing throughout the season. Um, And the way that that would happen is that um, you would actually have a look at uh, country coefficients, club coefficients, and you divide a league into a number of divisions according to, well according to their success in Europe, according to UEFA's own um, criterion, which means that you would have a number of divisions and you'd have a number of Key clubs playing in these divisions. How the divisions are made up? Well, I've gone into it in some detail. It's an amalgam of big and, and clubs, but they are they are seeded according to their success. It's a mirror image of how a domestic league should run, without going into any regional basis. So, if, for example, the English old football league. Which was divided into four divisions in terms of success, it would be similar to that. How is it going to be accommodated? Well, you limit the number of teams per division. What it would mean, what it would mean is no uh, domestic division. In other words, the Premier League and this is probably a big stumbling block the Premier
0: League would have to come down to 18 clubs. So that, that, and that that's always been the issue isn't it because that was part of your original plan that it should I, yes, be smaller than but, actually I, but I have
1: to say that only one person
0: one club voted for it and that was Arsenal and David Dean and you could turn around and say well that's because they'll never finish below 10th or something like that right. so they've got no danger of relegation so yeah. in the end for that to happen either you're going to offer a huge financial incentive or Turkeys have to vote for Christmas Yes,
1: but uh, as I said, more countries would be involved. More countries will, sorry, more countries will be involved. More clubs will be involved. Um, it would be more representative. Smaller clubs would have a greater opportunity because it's a league system. It's not a hybrid or a knockout competition, um, and it would be based on merit. So um, the only other drawback, apart from making enough room for it. Which would mean that top divisions couldn't play more than um, couldn't have more than 18 clubs in it. The only other drawback is what would you do in terms of promotion and relegation, and this is the the other major drawback, which is that you'd have promotion and relegation, but because you'd have to change the teams that are qualifying for this competition year on year. Supposing, for example, in the top division the English team who, who well actually they wouldn't be in the top division the English team who finished fourth would not be in the top division but let's suppose that um, that it is Chelsea and they, they've qualified in fourth place and they're in division two but they do exceptionally badly in division two and they get relegated or to, to be more positive they do exceptionally well and they get promoted but they don't qualify domestically in 4th place the following year the team that qualifies in 4th would be the beneficiary of Chelsea's success or failure so they'd be the beneficiary of their success or they'd be the victim of their failure so because you have to change clubs year on year but obviously you wouldn't have wholesale changes because all domestic leagues are dominated by certain clubs So year on year, you'd only have perhaps maybe about half a dozen clubs who are playing one year and not playing the next. But it's a drawback. So that's a drawback. And the other drawback is you've got to find enough room domestically to play it. So it would further marginalize the FA Cup, but feel no grief for the FA because they have been architects of their own demise. Similarly, it would further marginalize the League Cup And again, the same criticism applies there. Um, You know, the the view is play more games, earn more money. It's not the right view. Less will truly equal more. You've got to look at events. And this would be um, a major event across Europe in every UEFA country. Now, there are small countries who wouldn't qualify. So taking an example from the Nations League, they'd play in a league of their own. like like Liechtenstein so you wouldn't have them muddying the waters forgive me I didn't mean that in a pejorative sense what they would do they would play in a league and they would qualify and go through one or two of them into the bottom division so I've told you more or less what it is without giving you the (laughs) the exact details
0: yeah I've got loads of questions about that but I'll come to the talk and ask them there Um, where's FFP in all of this is it is it, has it failed in your opinion? Yes, of course it's failed. And it's never going to work? It's
1: never going to work because UEFA don't have the, the wherewithal to fight the good fight. So um, if um, a wealthy owner comes in and gives money to the club over and above what the market value is, it's, uh, it's allowed. And that's what's happened. I mean, why are Paris Saint-Germain such a, a successful club at the moment? Because they've been able to flout FFP similarly in our country, Manchester City and you've got to look behind, you know, um, that these are backed not by individual owners or even billionaires, but they're backed by regimes and regimes who see football as a means of promoting themselves And as such, they have an empty treasure chest. And UEFA have failed to tackle these cases. They've given them nominal fees, but the only way they'll tackle them is by throwing them out of the competition. And that won't happen.
0: But by that definition, these teams are very powerful, very moneyed. All sorts of tactics are employed to keep that position. But what you're talking about with... Uh, restrictions on on uh, playing staffs and a certain amount of English players in the Premier League, for example, and in Europe, this happening, that happening, that's still imposing restrictions on them. And what I'm seeing at the moment is clubs getting more moneyed and more powerful and more uh, insulated to any restriction at all.
1: Yeah, you've got. To so, how
0: do you make change happen?
1: Well, the authorities have to be brave enough to realize that they stand for all of football they don't just bend to the will of the big five countries it's as simple as that but they won't do it because they will bend to the will of the big five countries they'll, they'll make the odd concession but you've only got to see the way that they've changed the Champions League so that they have to some extent ostracized the champions of sweden and given the fourth team in spain a better chance Um, and true football fans might object to that others who are also true football fans might say well um, we've got a better quality of competition as a result that the champions of sweden are not as good as the fourth team in spain It's an argument. But I think that what UEFA stands for is democracy and merit and representation, and you can have all that in a league system. So if you're good enough, you play in the top
0: league. Do you see the fans ever turning against this? Because you've had protests happen in England with regard to ticket prices, Um, and that's growing a little bit. Certain clubs restricting the cost, certainly for away fans coming to their grounds. You always talk about, well, Manchester United versus Juventus is an event. Okay, fine, it is an event. But if it's happening year on year and there's very little turnaround, then they become lesser no, events. No,
1: I'd argue against that. Is Manchester United Liverpool less an event this year than it was last year? No so if Manchester United for example and Juventus were in the top division and they play year on year of course it matters because who's going to finish above them and are Manchester United going to do better in this league than they did last year are they going to win the title no football is ever-changing you know Manchester United and Juventus don't stand still they've got to improve as teams but what we've got to do is to try and ensure not that it's an even playing field because it never will be life is on the side of the big battalions and the big battalions got big through history and tradition and being successful um, and they will always be successful and they will always drive the game but you've got to give chance more of an opportunity you've got to give merit more of an opportunity and if you put limits n- not that you can have a salary cap unless it's European wide but if you were able to control wages if you were able to control staffs if you were able to control transfer fees then you would have a more even playing field and you'd have a stronger game and you'd have a stronger game both in terms of the club game because it wouldn't weaken the club game the stars will always be there and you'd have a stronger national team game and look how important the national team is to us in in football terms it's a tragedy that the FA had it in their power to change the way that English football was played and financed and could have created a situation whereby um, the national team did exceptionally well. And what they've done instead is to create obstacles for
0: it. From what you're arguing here, one of the few things that could undermine the continuing ascent of the elite football clubs is a lack of demand because of their failure to sow the seeds, water the seeds, look after the, uh, young play, the young fans coming up?
1: They have neglected the fans and they've neglected their own players. I said before, what drives the big clubs is the, the belief that uh, players are too good to sell, so we'll stockpile them uh, for our benefit and for Uh, to prevent our competitors getting them but they're not good enough to play and that's just manifestly unfair and it's not good business in terms of the club's future but more importantly it's not good business in terms of the players future and indeed the fans the fans want to see homegrown players and there is a way where you can see the stars and the homegrown players but because the price of success is so great within the premier league that they put a premium on that and that drives everything there's no long-term planning uh, and what what football needed is a, a mutual relationship between the clubs and the federation they have it in Germany why can't we have it here and the reason is that the, in the German system it's democratic and merit have a role so it, it, it mirrors and it's not that I'm uh, a great innovator but I looked at I looked at two things which were the inspiration for the league restructuring domestic league restructuring and the Champions League and that was American football and then German football American football in terms of the NFL because what matters in the NFL is not club think league think so it's driven by the league and the whole is greater than the sum of the parts and the sum of the parts are made as even as possible year on year through the draft system We can't have the draft system, but what we can have in Germany is to put a cap on billionaires coming in. If a club is good enough and successful enough, like Bayern Munich, then they will always be a case in themselves. But within the German system, simply because there are 40 clubs that matter, you've got more opportunity, more fluidity in the system. And then down the bottom, you've got regional football. So you're creating regional events, so you're looking after the small clubs. And because you're doing that, and because of what's happening at the top in terms of the, the clubs and the academies,
0: you've got strength, national strength, as well as club strength. But as soon as Bayern started to have some trouble in Europe, there was talk of trying to unhook that particular rule because they were chasing the Man cities and the PSGs, etc., who, who had sugar daddies. Yes. But uh,
1: the Bayern case is um, one that previously was organic because the people who run Bayern were ex-players and the ex-players have a a relationship with the club that expatriate owners in particular don't have. Um, So all Bayern were trying to do was to see that the the ground had shifted and how could they compete. Um, It wasn't sufficient for them to dominate at home but they had to be more of a force in Europe. And the only way to do that is to borrow some of the opposition's attributes. It goes against their grain, but they're doing it simply because um, it's the nature of the way that European football has developed. It's money-driven the whole time. If it wasn't money-driven, if it more reflected the German system, that's the paradox, then they wouldn't be in in this position and wouldn't be tempted to really disown their own philosophy.
0: Just finally, what's an achievable hope for the future of the Premier League? Not pie in the sky, but something that's achievable that you think could happen that would be would be a good position for the Premier League to be in. To,
1: to, to recognise that um, they came into being as the FA Premier League, and as such, they have a relationship with the whole of English football. And as a starting point, they should remember that 40 academies are better than 20 academies creaming off all the young players and the only way you reach that is by having Premier League 2 and to make sure that the money is more evenly distributed between the top two divisions more evenly distributed and also filters down into the smaller clubs and hopefully threatening the Football League that if they don't restructure they won't get the money in other words restructure the Football League so you have this system Premier League 1 Premier League 2 Football League National Division 1 Football League National Division 2 three regional divisions under that and what you have therefore is more than well you have 20 clubs in each division you create a system whereby the small clubs can get right to the top, where merit is important, where money isn't the be-all and end-all, and you also create a more fertile ground for the English player and the England national team. Is that achievable, though? Is it's it really achievable, achievable, but will it happen? No, it won't happen because um, you've got 20 owners who don't give a fig for English football. They're not English. So why would they vote to give some of their money away? and they won't and it was a big big mistake to, to ensure that such a system could arrive at whereby English football is in hock to foreign owners and not only foreign owners because English football is dominated by foreign owners foreign coaches and foreign players what price a successful English national team on that
0: basis I'm desperately trying to find a way to end this on an up-note,
1: Alex. (laughs) The the up-note is, thank God for the under-20s and the under-17s who, in spite of the system, have got through and to see more players going abroad and being successful abroad because they can't break into their national team at home will change minds.
0: Yeah, that's it. I mean, you've got Jordan Sancho and other players going abroad to get chances and yet they've been as successful as they can be within their age groups for England. It's incredible, that scenario, and it's only just started to happen.
1: Well, exceptional group, you've got to look after them. And if you're not going to cherish them at home, which obviously we don't because they have to go abroad, then at least we'll be able to welcome them back into the national team. And we'll have a stronger national team as a result of their German experience or their French experience. But it's it's a stain on the Premier League, isn't it? If that is the only way that we are going to develop young players. The answer's there, but you have to care about English football. And at the moment, it's not in the owner's interest of the Premier League clubs to care about English football. Either the state of the national team or the state of grassroots. All they're concerned about is success. Success in the short term, which means getting the best players and stopping your competitors getting them. There's no real long-term strategy. People will say there is one, but you know that's very secondary to making sure that for the small clubs it's Premier League survival, for the big clubs it's Premier League success. Now, at least if UEFA followed my idea, which won't happen, then we'd have a, a European league which would show us how it could be done. But we have examples anyway in terms of you know, the domestic system is better, certainly much better in Germany, but it's also better in Italy, Spain, France as well. There we are. (laughs) Alex Finn, thank you very much. It's a pleasure talking to you, Richard. Thank you.
0: Please follow at Sports Content Strategy on Instagram and Facebook. On Twitter, it's Sports Content SP. Richard is at Mr. Richard Clark on all social media. Read his blog and sign up for his newsletter at MrRichardClark.com.